We're going to read the word together. Uh, Pastor Norb is preaching from this particular text this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, and it's on the screen behind me. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Well, I have to admit that I've been doing a little mini-series these last number of weeks within our larger summer series that we've called Going All Out. When Pastor Ken and I talked about this series, we wanted each message to stand on its own, knowing that the summer months people are coming and going. And uh, some of you, uh, this scripture that we read may be very familiar because uh, I think it's the third week now that we've looked at it. For some of you, it may be the first time that you've been uh, exposed to it. But uh, we wanted each message to stand on its own under this umbrella of just really throwing caution to the wind and going deeper in our relationship with Jesus. That no matter where we are at, the challenge and the encouragement would be to take that next step, to go to another level. By this time next Sunday, the 2012 Summer Olympic Games will be in full swing in London, England. If you're anything like me, and hopefully not too much like me, um, events that you haven't watched in, well, probably four years since the last Olympics will capture your attention and keep you glued to your TV. And we'll be inspired by these athletes and uh, their commitment and, and just the feats that they're, they're doing and the excellence that they're, and perfection that they're uh, achieving. Um, we'll be inspired by them, the Canadian athletes in particular, as they embrace the theme for the Canadian team, Give Your Everything. For an athlete competing at this level, they obviously didn't just fall out of bed one morning and decide to head to the pool and master the breaststroke or grab a buddy and learn to synchronize swim. This is the culmination of at least four years and probably more, a lifetime in fact for most athletes, of a singular passion, a pursuit, and a focus on a specific sport. The Christian life is really no different. We can choose to coast, remain comfortable and risk stagnation, or we can go all in, all out, and throw ourselves wholly and fully into becoming the men and women of God that he intends for us to become. These verses in 1 Timothy, verses 6 through 16, that the children in grades 1 to 6 are memorizing this month, are a great starting point in helping us to understand what it will take to go all out in our relationship with Jesus. In verses 6 through 10, we saw how important it was to train for godliness. And there the contrast was that physical training has a place and it's important, but not nearly as important and valuable as godliness. Last week, 
We looked at how important it was to be an example, to be an example in our speech, in our life, in our conduct, in love, faith, and purity, and to acknowledge the fact that to be an example was a daily pursuit. It's important to be reminded that people, our children, our spouses, our neighbors, just the people that we come in contact with every day, they're watching us. And the question that they're asking is, does the faith that we profess make a difference in the way that we think and act? Now, of course, verses 13 to 16 that we'll look at this morning, they follow in the context of this letter that the Apostle Paul had written to Timothy. Timothy was a young 30-something pastor, and Paul was writing him to remind him about what it takes to be a pastor and ultimately a follower of Jesus. Paul expected to come and visit Timothy in the church that he was visiting in Ephesus. But in the meantime, notice how verse 13 begins, until I come. So until I come visit, this is what you are to do, Timothy. Devote yourself. Let's stop there just for a moment. That word devote is really what kind of caught my attention right when I started to look at these these verses and ultimately sort of formed the, the, the basis of the title for this message. It means to give your full attention to, to, to be alert to, to be wholly and fully devoted is to give your full attention, full focus and energies to the pursuit of a specific activity. As individual followers of Jesus and, a, and really as a church as a whole, we, you know, we want to be more like Jesus. That is our goal. That's what God is doing in our lives. And so what's it going to take? What is it that we should be devoted to? Well, I think that there's at least uh, four things in this passage in these few verses that we should be devoted to. The first is be devoted to the reading of Scripture, to the reading of Scripture. Here in verse 13, Paul is talking about the context of public worship. In other letters, he, he makes it clear that worship is not just singing. It's not like we just finished worshiping here because we were singing and now we're doing something else. It's all, uh, you know, it's singing, but it's, it's that and so much more, right? It's prayer. It's communion. It's, it's hearing about what God is doing in Peru. It's, it's all of that. It's giving it and, and it involves the public reading of scripture. And this term here came from the synagogue where a passage from the Old Testament would be read aloud and then explained. It was a practice that went back at least to Nehemiah's day. Where there we read that the people gathered together and they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave meaning so that the people understood the reading. I very vividly remember our very first Sunday at first uh, here at TCC. Um, it was uh, just over three and a half years ago. I think I tell you about that Sunday a lot, don't I? Um, because it, it did, it had a significant impact on our lives, and it was really that sort of event that God used to confirm that this is where He was calling us. Now there were other things that needed to happen after that, but there was a sense of of uh, just that Sunday that God was saying, "Yeah, this is the place that we're leading, that I'm leading you to." Um, but what I remember from this Sunday, and this is three and a half years ago, I remember, and I think she's here this morning. Tiffany Leibenhagen read the scripture that morning. And she read the scripture, and then Pastor Ken just had asked her that after reading the scripture, if you wouldn't mind uh, just sharing a little bit about uh, how that personally impacts you. 
And we do that often at TCC. We have people come and read the scripture and, and share about, uh, sometimes they share and sometimes they don't. But the, the public reading of scripture is a value at TCC. And I think that that's really important. It's not just part of some tradition. It's not just something we do because that's what we've always done. We do it because we believe that it's an important part of corporate public worship. It's doing what Paul commands Timothy here to do, to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Well, what we do in public should also be part of our our, our focus and devotion in private. And so one of the things that we do at TCC is we try to emphasize daily Bible reading, specifically using the Life Journal and the Bible reading. You can go to the website and write sort of smack dab in the middle of the homepage. There's a link to the Life Journal readings. You can click on that and it'll take you to, to the readings for that particular day. It's something that we really think that's important that we personally and individually um, spend time reading the scriptures together. And it does require devotion. It does take that focus. It does, as an Olympic athlete would regularly get up out of bed early in the morning to train, then we train for godliness by doing the same thing. If this is like a new step for you, if this is like something that you haven't done before and you think, you know, maybe that is a place to start. Maybe, maybe that is something that should become part of the practice and routine of my life. There's even a great resource at the back table called The Divine Mentor that talks about this reading plan, the Life Journal, but just how to use the scriptures to daily influence um, our journey and our walk through life. And so a great place to start if that's something that uh, you're being challenged to think about. But being fully devoted requires that we're devoted to the public and private reading of scripture. Secondly, to be devoted to encouragement to encouragement. Paul uses the word here in verse 13, preaching. He says, until I come, so I'm going to come visit, but in the meantime, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to preaching. Now, some translations use the word exhortation, which simply means to summon, to ask, to exhort, or to confront. And preaching really follows the reading of scripture. In Acts chapter 13, uh, there's a a record of a time when Paul and his companions, they went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue ruler sent word to them saying, brothers, now listen, here's the word, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. And the word translated there in Acts chapter uh, 13 is the same word for preaching here in verse, uh, verse 13 of 1 Timothy 4. And so Paul, given that invitation, you know, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak, please bring it. And so Paul does, and he gives them a word of encouragement. He preaches. He preaches the gospel. He tells them about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. An amazing thing happens. And in verse 43 of Acts chapter 13, we read, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue... The people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. I thought that was great because if you're a guest speaker and you actually get invited back the following Sunday, that was a good thing. If they're just like, thank you very much, we'll see you never, then there's a bit of a problem there. But they invited Paul and Barnabas back. 
And then listen, then when the congregation was dismissed, so people were leaving, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. You see what's happening there? They were just so inspired and encouraged by the preaching of the Word of God that they're like, hey, give us more. And they just kept talking about this. And Paul and Barnabas, they took that opportunity and they continued to urge them, right? Encourage them. This is where it gets great, as if it wasn't good already. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. What do you think happened? public reading of scripture, Paul gets up, encourages them. They are just encouraged to the point of saying to all the people they came in contact with saying, you have to come to the synagogue next Sunday. We had a guest speaker last week and and he was so much better than the regular guy that's there. (laughs) And, uh, And it was amazing. And the whole city gathered. Friends, I honestly believe that amazing things happen when a church like ours and many around this city gather together, read the scriptures publicly, explain them, and encourage people to follow them. And that's even in this public context. But I think that there's a personal and individual application of this as well. When, as we already said, we read the scriptures, maybe even the same ones as everyone else, right? And so when we encourage the daily readings in the, in the Life Journal, following that reading plan that will take you through the, the, the whole Bible in a year, we maybe get together with a friend from church and we know that they're reading the same scriptures. We grab a coffee and suddenly we have something spiritual to talk about as opposed to sports or weather or anything else, we can say, hey, did you, did you get a chance to read the scriptures this morning? Hey, anything jump out of the scriptures? Like, what, what jumped out for you? What, what, was there anything that just caught your heart and your attention? Can you imagine the encouragement that that would be to all of us when that becomes part of our focus and our, part of our conversation? Robert Murray McShane, he was a Scottish pastor in the early, 19, early 1800s. This is going way back. And uh, his life was cut way too short. He died at the age of 30. But, but uh, you know, his, he had a significant impact, um, uh, particularly in the Presbyterian movement in, Sc- in Scotland. And one of the things that he did was he developed a Bible reading plan where you read through four different places in the Bible. And in doing so, in that the way he outlined it was, you read through the Old Testament once in the year, and then you read uh, the New Testament and the Psalms twice. So it's, 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 there, there's quite a bit of reading, trust me. I've tried to, tried to do it a few years. But you know why he developed this reading plan? And I, I love this quote. He said, and he just did it for his congregation. He never thought that it would be this worldwide thing. And you can go on the internet and you can find uh, this daily reading plan. I'm sure, you know, 200 years ago, he had no even idea that it would be come to this. His plan was just for his congregation, his flock. And this was his word. He said, I want to know where my sheep are grazing. Isn't that great? Because he realized that together 
we grow and, and like sheep, we're being fed by the Word of God. And so he wanted to know, and he just thought it was great. Hey, as a church, let's all read the same scriptures every day, and then we can encourage one another um, in the reading of, our, of the scriptures. See, so often if you might say something like that, hey, did you read your scriptures to me? We take that negative, right? Uh, and we're like, hey, you know what? Don't, don't preach at me. Turn, around, turn it around just say, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just encouraging you, right? So it just has a different sense. And, and being positive can make such a difference. It's the opposite of nagging and being critical. And we've already talked about the importance of speaking the truth in love. Romans 15, verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be, be fulfilled. So I say to all of us this morning, be devoted to encouragement. Thirdly, be devoted to teaching, to teaching. Now, this just takes the reading and preaching of the scriptures to another level. To teach is to carefully provide and study the essentials of Christian doctrine. Let me remind you of the context again in the background of this letter. Timothy was dealing with false teachers. And in dealing with false teachers... One might be tempted to think that the way to refute this error, to confront it, is to just challenge it head on and expose it. But what we're seeing here is, first of all, if you want to silence the critics, be an example, that was last week's message, and secondly, here now, be devoted to the truth. In other words, error is not proved false by just focusing on the error. For example, when people are trained, uh, bankers, maybe people in, in stores that are handling money, and now this has co- obviously changed as new technology and we get new money and they got scanners and all of that. But years ago when they didn't have that technology, the way that they would be trained in order to be able to detect counterfeit money, they didn't just show them and all these fakes and let them handle all the fakes because you know they could come in any number of varieties. Instead, what they did is they showed them the real thing. They let them get a feel for, for what real money feels like. And the thought being that once they know what real money feels and looks like, then they will easily be able to detect the fakes. Because they're like, well, this is the real one, and this is not like the real one. So we focus on the real thing. And so the same is true of God's truth. We could expose false teaching by presenting those to you, But like Paul instructs Timothy and to all those who follow him, keep your focus on the truth. Read it, preach it, teach it. And so again, if that is what Timothy is supposed to do publicly, the teaching of the Word of God, the implication is, of course, that if the pastor teaches, then the rest of us should be learners. We become students of the Word, of truth, of doctrine. I don't know how many of you have, you know, let your mind wander and you start looking around during a service and wonder what everybody's doing. And you see me usually sitting over here when Pastor Ken is teaching and I have a notebook out and I'm taking notes. And, and somebody once asked me, well, why, why, why do you do that? And, and the truth is, is that I need sermon material further down the road. And so I just store it. But no, really, I just remember it better. I write it down. I can refer back to it. I can have two or three words and I can remember most of the context of a paragraph. And so I want to be a student of the Word. I want to sit where you sit and listen to the Word of God being taught and, uh, and take notes and, and learn about it. You see, 
And even for me to be a teacher as I am this morning, I have to be a student myself. And uh, I remember in grade 12, I uh, tutored other grade 12 students in math, and I got my best and highest marks during that time. Why? Because I had to know my stuff. And, uh, and that's true even of teaching the Word of God. A few weeks ago when I encouraged us to go deeper into the Word, I suggested that everyone should, at a minimum, have a good study Bible. And uh, thankful to Sid Page, he sent me a note and told me about a great online study tool. And so if you're looking to study and go deeper in the Word, here's one that's easily accessible. You don't need to go out and spend money, and it's just it'll be up on the screen here, www.netbible.org. Okay? And you can just play around there, and you'll be amazed at just the, the wealth of information that uh, is available there. So to be devoted to teaching means also that we are devoted to learning. And lastly, be devoted to the use of your gift. To the use of your gift. I suspect uh, verse 14 was Paul's response to Timothy's unspoken doubts about his ability to not only be devoted to the public reading of Scripture, but to encouragement and to teaching and then earlier to be an example And Timothy was probably asking himself if he really had the knowledge and the abilities and the the training necessary for the task. Do I really, you know, do I fit? Do Do I come up to the level of expectation that I have? And so Paul, in writing to encourage him, says, Do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And this word translated gift here, it comes from the root word meaning grace. And so Paul is, is reminding Timothy that he was given a gift of grace, a free gift. Although the exact gift is not specified, it, it probably refers to something related to Timothy's calling, uh, his calling to ministry and his gifting for ministry. It was given to Timothy by God. He says it was a a prophetic message that came from God. And it was affirmed by the church because the whole body of elders agreed together as they prayed for him and laid their hands on him. And Paul uses this verb here, neglect, in reference to Timothy's gift. It literally means to be careless about something. So uh, Timothy, he's saying, don't be careless with your gift. Be careful. Pay attention to your gift. And that's important because gifts tend to fade in strength when they're not used or encouraged. And Timothy has a gift from God, but he has to use it to develop it. And as a follower of Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift from God. And we refer to these gifts as spiritual gifts because they, they come from God through the Holy Spirit and they're special abilities designed to be used in the church and in the world to make a difference for Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. So whatever gift you've, you, you have received, this is the requirement. Use it to serve others. So what is your spiritual gift? 
I, I've asked that question before, and sometimes, uh, you know, you might have that on some kind of a data information sheet, you know, spiritual gifts, and you're trying to get information about, about people and what they, uh, where they might fit in ministry. And I've asked, as I've asked that question, I've, I've received some interesting answers. Things like, I'm good with kids, or I'm a crazy good quilter. Um, actually, I've never really gotten that one, but you get the point. And I'd like to just point out that I think those are more like talents and, and passions. And I hope I'm not splitting hairs here too much, but I think it's important to kind of draw that distinction. Now, certainly those gifts, those are talents and passions are, are useful, except for maybe the quilting part. But um, now I've just offended all of the quilters, haven't I? <laughs> but they're not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are those gifts that are understood to be addressed in Scripture specifically. Gifts such as administration, apostleship, evangelism, encouragement, the spiritual gift of faith, giving is a spiritual gift, helps, leadership, mercy, the gift of shepherding or being a pastor, teacher, and that's probably not an exhaustive list. Uh, you'll find spiritual gift people will, some will say, well, there's 10 and others will say there's, well, there's at least 15. There might be others that say there's even up to 20 or 25, but hopefully those basic ones give you some ideas because the interesting thing is that some gifts, and this is where we have to be careful of, um, there still are things that we should all do as followers of Jesus. It, it just may be that it doesn't come as easy for us. For example, Reading that list, here's the interactive part. Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism, right? I mean, it just, it just kind of oozed out of him. And, and we saw this for, for decades as he, as he preached in, uh, in crusades and, and missions. But even if we don't have the gift of evangelism, because we think about, oh, man, talking to my neighbor, talking to my coworker, this is just so hard for me. It's probably that you don't have the gift of evangelism. You probably have met people that have the gift of evangelism and, and you know, they're just leading the, the person behind the Starbucks counter to Christ while they're buying their latte, right? But you're like, oh man, I could never do that. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do that or that we, um, that we, you know, we still need to tell people about Jesus and the difference that he's made in our lives. See, you might have a, a musical talent, but when you use that talent to lead people in worship, you're likely exercising your gift of leadership. You might be a really caring person, okay? That, that's part of your personality. But when you help other people and it's not a burden to you, you probably have the spiritual gift of helps. You see, because we're all instructed to encourage one another, but for some people, encouragement is just a way of life. Everything that they say and write, you know, those are the kind of people you just love being around because you come away just feeling higher than, like, you're just on cloud nine because you just suddenly feel like, man, I could do anything today because this person really encouraged me because that's their spiritual gift. They're so good at it. My encouragement to you today is to discover your spiritual gift and then put it to use. If it's teaching, then we need teachers in our children's ministry. If it's leading, find an area of ministry to lead. If it's giving, give. See, there again, we're, we're all supposed to give. But, but for some people, it just comes easy and natural. And maybe in some cases, they've been blessed financially. And they can just give crazy amounts of money to bless others because that's their gifting. It just comes easy. 
the gift of helps. I see this one all the time. You know, we have uh, Joel is here, and I don't think Jerry's here today, but but uh, these two guys, um, they've been doing so much painting at the church. Well, they're skilled as painters because that's what they do during the day, but they come to the church at night and use their gift of helps to continue to use that gift that they have, that talent of paint, to, to serve the body. And so we're all blessed because of that. There are things that you may have heard of before called spiritual gift inventories. I have to admit, I'm not a, a huge fan of those um, because sometimes they'll probably just tell you what you already know. Um, and there's so many different kinds and, and all of that. But it is useful, I think, as a tool, to, as a good place to start. And I put a few copies on the back table there if you're interested in saying, oh, I've never done anything like that, I'll do that. I even saw there's some online tools that you can use to do this kind of spiritual gift inventory. But it's important that confirmation is important. What do others say about you? And in Timothy's case, Paul reminded him, don't neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message. It came from God. It was very clear that this was the gift that was given to him. And we affirmed it through the laying on of hands. And that's what happens in the body. People come alongside and say, you know what, I just appreciate the fact that you just seem to just help out wherever. You must have the gift of helps. Oh, I never put it in that context. But yeah, that's probably it, right? So you can use that, and, uh, um, but there's other ways of determining gifts as well. I always just think that the early church didn't have spiritual gift inventories. They just kind of figured it out on their own um, as to what God had really given them a responsibility to do. So don't neglect your gift. Don't be careless with it. You know, that's the worst thing, right? Somebody gives you a gift or you give somebody a gift is probably better. You give them a gift and you think, man, that's so useful. I'd love to have one of those. And then you just, every time you go to visit, you just see it like wrapped up in the corner and you're like, why aren't you using that gift? Use your gift that God has given you. Don't neglect it. Be devoted to using it. And just to conclude, in these last two verses, Paul says to Timothy, be diligent in these matters. And he's basically saying, in all the things that I just talked to you about, give yourself wholly to them. These matters refer to everything that Paul has written to Timothy. In other words, be diligent in the exercise of your ministry, Timothy. Just completely lose yourself in it. Study the word. Practice. Train yourself to be godly. Preach. Teach. Timothy, there is an intensity that should mark your life. And speaking of your life, there should be progress. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress, he says. Because when we are fully devoted to the right things, reading of Scripture, encouragement, teaching, learning, using our gifts, there's going to be noticeable progress in our spiritual development. And others will see it. And again, we are reminded that others are watching us. So if they're going to to watch, we may as well watch our life and doctrine ourselves. That's what he says to Timothy. Life and doctrine. You really can't have one without the other. Godly living and sound teaching, they go hand in hand. And Timothy says, persevere in them. Just keep on. And this is important, Timothy, because it will impact you and the people you come in contact with. It could have an eternal impact. Don't take this lightly, Timothy. You see, the task of growing in godliness, it takes training, it's a daily pursuit, and it requires full devotion. Simply put, growing up in Christ requires a wholehearted commitment to the task. 
a word that I use a lot, mostly probably around our home and probably too much, is just the word intentional. Intentional. See, there are no fast tracks or shortcuts to spiritual growth. Like an Olympic athlete, you put feet to your passions by being intentional. What one thing can you start doing or maybe just to restart, maybe it's a reminder that, man, I've gotten a little, little slack there, a little lazy there, that will help you be intentional in your desire to grow spiritually. What one thing? Maybe it is, you know, doing a spiritual gift inventory. Maybe it is picking up the divine mentor. Maybe it is going online and starting uh, a daily Bible reading program. Whatever it is, do that next thing. And in the context of athletics, is it little wonder that Paul wrote as he did to the Corinthian church? Do you not run? Do you not know, excuse me, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let's pray together. Father.